With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like, he's just a beefy boy. I don't... It's a beef boy right there. I would hope that that left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Truly Donovan. You didn't tell me I could say the F word on here. Over 2 million men trust their balls. Shout out to Paul Day. We are back for another edition of the Starting 502 Podcast. As always, Presley Meyer, your host with the most. And tonight, we are joined by a new guest, but a a guest that you're going to be hearing a lot more from probably in the future. And that is Jake Hook. Jake is is probably better known for his his newer social media presence, UofL underscore updates on Twitter. He's been doing some great breakdowns of the play of some of the incoming players and trying to give fans a preview of what Louisville could be looking like in the future. Jake, welcome to the show. What's going on, man? Hey, thank you. Very, very happy to be here. I think I chose the most generic name possible, UofL underscore updates, so that no one would ever remember it. So got to work on my marketing, but uh, very happy to be on the pod. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell people a little bit about what your background is and wh- why you started the the, the Twitter account and, and what you've been kind of getting out of it. I originally, I was a UofL student for two years and uh, kind of had no idea what I wanted to do. Did marketing for a little bit, did econ for a little bit, did finance, didn't like any of it. Finally did a uh, an internship with 96.1 FM, the Big X, over just across the river from Louisville. Uh, helped edit and uh, record a podcast for TJ Walker, who is a UK writer and a sports blogger. Just loved it. Found out that I love sports, sports broadcasting, all that stuff. So transferred to TCU down in Dallas-Fort Worth, got a sports broadcasting degree, and uh, did the whole sports broadcasting thing as a reporter in Evansville for three years. Uh, it wasn't the worst. The pay is just, uh, they don't like to pay TV news people very much. So uh, got out of it. Now I'm into now I'm into a different field out of the sports media industry, but uh, just realized that I still had that passion for it. And uh, my biggest passion was always Louisville sports and never really had a, an outlet or an avenue to talk about it. So I was just like, hey, I'll, I'll make this Twitter. We'll see what happens. I think my cousin followed me and two of my friends from home followed me and that was it. Now we're still small, but 650 followers somewhere around there, give or take. Uh, and uh, just really just kind of trying to educate Louisville fans as much as possible. That's kind of what I like to do. Yeah, give Jake a follow if you have not yet. Again, that's on Twitter slash X at UofL underscore updates. Getting into the sports side of things. First of all, how did you feel about that TCU game? Do we not want to talk about it or is it not, I, not a huge deal to you or 
I mean, Louisville is, is always my team. I'm going to sit down and watch every single minute. I've already rewatched the football game since it happened on Friday. I was uh, I was actually at my aunt's house, so I was watching on my phone a little bit. But thought we had it in the bag, and then next thing I know, Colorado wins. But, I mean, that offense for Dion looks, good Lord, so, so impressive. I, I really did not think that they would be firing on all cylinders so quickly. It kind of felt like a lot of fake juice going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of those Colorado players – uh, it, it seemed like it was a, it was a lot of good pieces, but nobody expects them to come in and be successful right away, especially a head coach that's never had, you know, any experience on the power five levels. So uh, that was that was pretty interesting to see. Obviously, the big storyline uh, in college football for week one, uh, getting a little bit into the basketball side of things, though, um, we, we found out that uh, this did not come to fruition. Uh, on on Friday night during the middle of the Louisville Georgia Tech football game, uh, however, nobody's really gotten into it very much, and it's still something that I think that we should dive into and cover a little bit. So there was a report from while he does not give anyone his name or his identity, Truly Donovan, Truly Donovan, on, yes, on one of the Twitter. great Twitter names. Yes, he has. Yes, yeah, speaking of of weird Twitter names, Truly Donovan, one of the more reputable sources, of course. In, in college basketball now it's crazy to, to say that but i mean he's a guy that is an inside insider who for obvious reasons probably doesn't want to reveal his name because he knows things that you know people shouldn't know essentially uh, started his own website and is continuing to report on the happenings around college basketball uh, and and one thing that that uh, kind of came across our timelines that uh, surprised us quite a bit was that nolan smith was interviewing for a head coaching job in the G League. I want to kind of get your opinion on that. Obviously not ideal timing. A a guy who is considered probably the strongest link on your assistant coaching staff uh, interview after all of your players have enrolled and started classes uh, for the 2023-24 season. What's your take on that, man? Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, I, I, I can't hate that he wants to go and get a head coaching job. I mean... I'm sure everyone kind of assumes that at some point Nolan's going to get a head coaching job somewhere. He seems like a great coach, great recruiter, great relationship person. Um, And if he's interested in getting an NBA job, I mean, it makes sense to go start with the capital city go-go with the Washington Wizards and kind of work his way up onto an NBA team. But I think, like you said, it's just the timing of everything. Doing it late August, I mean, we're just a couple of months out from the season and your assistant coach is looking at other jobs. I just, I just don't think that displays confidence for what this team could be next year if you've got your top assistant looking the other way. But, I mean, I don't blame the guy for looking. It's just it's not a good look for the timing, especially after you just lose Trenton Flowers two weeks prior to that. Doesn't bode well for Louisville on the PR side of things. As a program that's trying to just you know muster up any sort of positive news, to lose your potential you know lottery draft, draft pick as soon as the school year starts you know about a week week and a half later ultimately your top assistant coach is looking to potentially head elsewhere again those reports were never verified nolan smith never said anything you know as as we know he and his wife like to come on social media and you know recognize that there's rumors out there and that sort of thing and uh, his wife essentially said something along the lines of that people just be saying anything these days uh so i thought that was interesting but that report wouldn't be out there unless it's, you know, there's at least some sort of validity to it. Uh, And that's not something that I think Louisville wants getting out right now, especially after a four win season and after potentially your best player 
uh, leaves for uh, professional basketball in Australia. Real quick as well, Trenton Flowers, you know, we didn't, we kind of gave some opinions back and forth, had a little emergency pod a couple of weeks ago after Trenton Flowers left. Do you have any take on that as, as far as, you know, a lot of people are, are kind of backpedaling a little bit and saying, oh, well, you know, maybe it's addition by subtraction type of thing. I don't buy in, in, into any of that um, personally, but any opinion on the on the Trenton Flowers situation at all? Yeah, I mean, obviously it hurts to lose a player that late into the season or that late into the off season, especially when you could have filled that with a transfer player. Uh, so, I mean, that hurts a lot. I mean, Trenton was obviously really, really talented. I thought he was more of a player that would be really, really impactful in year two. So, I mean, those guys that reclass move up a year, they kind of, they don't always struggle, but they're more likely to struggle in that first year. And we kind I mean, of any position that this team doesn't need, it's wings and forwards. So if we're going to lose any spot, I think that's the spot that we can lose. But he's an immense talent. Obviously, it's going to hurt. But I think if we were going to lose any spot, that's that's the one that I was the most okay with losing. Yeah, I mean, when you looked at Trenton Flowers, I, I think the one thing that I keep going back to is it doesn't feel like Louisville has lost like a major piece as far as if you look at the roster one through five, right? And I know that he tweeted out stuff or his sister reportedly tweeted out stuff or whatever about that he's a point guard and he was going to go somewhere where he was only going to play point guard, which is to me is, is such malarkey anyways. Like, all you know, all of this stuff is being said after the fact, but I think the reality is that he was never a, a, a I don't think he's going to be a point guard in the league. I, I'm not sure that that's how they envision him at any professional level. Now, can he handle the ball? Of course. Can he bring the ball up the floor? Can he penetrate and, and dish? Of course. But uh, there's a lot more that goes into being a, a point guard and a true number one lead guard, especially if you're in a, a high pressure situation. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure Louisville wants him running, manning the point in a high pressure situation. He's the kind of guy that that's running off a ball screen or, you know, crashing the glass or something like that. That's more of the 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 vein that I saw Trenton Flowers in. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm not sure if I'm buying that that whole narrative. Yeah, I mean, he I watched I watched a ton of his games at Combine. He didn't even play point guard at Combine. I mean, I don't I don't know where this desire or like need to have to play point guard came from. It I don't I mean, it sounds like like you said malarkey because I mean he committed to a school that already had Sky Clark who was a four-star, five-star point guard in the class before him, transferred in. Like To me, the idea of him ever starting at point guard was never reasonable or like a fathomable idea. So it, it kind of seems to me like it's uh, just something they can throw out there and be like, oh, that's why we're leaving, because they, they didn't want to play him at point guard. But to me, that, that was never the ideal. It would have been nice just to be on the, a fly on the wall or someone that really knew what happened in this situation, because I'm not sure any of that's ever going to get out. Like Louisville is going to – kind of take the high road just out of necessity and, you know, wish him the best. You don't want to get into this kind of back and forth PR nightmare that is, you know, arguing with a 17 or 18 year old kid about going pro. Like ultimately you want to be able to say, Hey, we're disappointed, but we're glad that he's out there making money now in Australia. The reality is that the situation, he kind of screwed over his teammates. He screwed over everybody at Louisville. He and his father came out and gave an interview and basically said, oh, well, you know, the season doesn't start for three more months, but as we all know that's not reality. And that that opinion is not steeped in reality because that's that that to me indicates that that's a kid that had no intention of ever doing anything school related, because if he knew any better, he'd know that, OK, well, 
school starts in, in a week and you have to be enrolled in school uh, in order to participate in sports that semester. So it, it literally just doesn't make any sense. There's no logic behind what they're saying. They're just saying things to put it out there to not make them look bad. If they can get out in front of it, then, you know, what NBA guys in, in eight, 10 months are looking at his profile and viewing him a little bit differently. They were really hitting the the PR side of things really hard and, and trying to pin Trenton in a certain, you know, put him in a certain light. And in reality, I'm not sure that that's going to be looked at in a, in a positive light in eight to 10 months when he has to be evaluated to potentially be in the NBA. So moving ahead just a little bit, the timeline behind the Tyler Johnson saga has been fascinating to me for people who have not been caught up with what's going on with incoming freshman Tyler Johnson, who is going to be um, a, a, a freshman, whether he plays or not, for the University of Louisville this year. We were all, uh, especially uh, myself, Matt McGavick, some of the weirdo super sleuths that check the internet every other day to see if Tyler Johnson's enrolled. About a week before school started, whatever was needed to, to actually get him enrolled in school happened. So Johnson is a student at the University of Louisville. And then when they released the official roster a few days ago, Tyler Johnson was on. So people kind of seem to think that uh, maybe that was indicative of Johnson being cleared by the NCAA. But after some folks in the know reached out to those behind the scenes at Louisville, they said, no, nothing's changed. That was, you know, the intention was always to have him on the roster. He's a part of the team. Rather, he can play or not this season is still up in the air. Uh, now, nobody really knows what that means. Uh, we know that he graduated from high school, so we know that he would be eligible in, in, in to that degree, but maybe he doesn't meet the, the minimum criteria as far as classes that he's taken, or uh, the, the, there could be something going on where he's, he's academically ineligible. If that is the case, he won't be able to play the season as far as I understand. Do you have any other kind of knowledge around the, around the situation? Uh, and if he's not able to go, what does that mean for Louisville? I wish I knew more about the eligibility rules for the NCAA or what the NCAA deems is an acceptable reason to be able to get a waiver and uh, what is not. I I have no idea, but I mean, if this team doesn't get Tyler Johnson this, this season, I mean, I think Tyler Johnson will be, if he's able to play, the most impactful freshman we have this year. I mean, he's he's probably one of, Two guys that so far, looking at this roster, I would trust being a point guard, being able to lead this team, create for others, score, beat his man, get to the paint, all those things. So, I mean, if this team misses out on him, I think I think you're really going to see it another another repeat of last year where you saw L. Ellis playing 36 minutes a game, turning the ball over four times a game, things like that. And I think Sky Clark is great, but I mean, we saw it last year. A team can't rely on one guard, make him play 95% of the minutes and expect to see success. You need a backup behind Sky Clark that can give him minutes or even have them both on the court and have two guys that can create for others, get to the basket, things like that. So I think he's going to be a really, really, really important piece if he's able to get to the squad this year. You did a little bit of tape breakdown, if I'm not mistaken, on Karan Davis as well. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of people look at this roster and think that Sky Clark is basically a direct re replacement for L. Ellis from last season. And then you look at the roster and you see there's no Tyler Johnson. Then it's basically the same guys that you had last season backing up, mainly Hersey Miller. However, if you listen to a lot of the players talk, what the coaches have implied, 
Uh, Karan Davis is expected to be that backup point guard and maybe even play a little at both guard positions. What's your opinion on Karan Davis? Do you think that he's better than a Hersey Miller type of player? And, and what kind of impact could he have on this team? It's it's hard to acknowledge where his talent level is compared to others just because he played in such a weird league. He played in the California Juco, wasn't ranked as a top 100 Juco player. I mean, his numbers were great, putting up 20 plus per game, three assists, five rebounds, things like that. But if you go on my Twitter and you look at some of the games, I mean, I played, I played junior varsity basketball here in the state of Kentucky against better talent than some of the guys he was playing against. I mean, it's just, I mean, California Juco is not good. So, I mean, the numbers look great, but I watched his game and he's six, seven to me, he's more of a combo guard. He's not really a point guard. Uh, he's got a, he's got great athleticism. He can finish at the rim, but the handle wasn't tight. The playmaking really wasn't there. So to me, he seems like more of a project combo guard than he would be a reliable backup that you'd be competent in as soon as Guy Clark leaves the floor. Yeah. When you look at Louisville's roster last year and what it was lacking outside of just depth in general, I think they were lacking someone else who could who could take over a game, who could look competent with the ball in their hands other than, than L. Ellis. Somebody who could distribute for others, just be an overall playmaker, kind of be able to go into into their tool bag, if you will. I do see Karan Davis as, as you insinuated, you know, he's going to be a, a junior this season. I think by his senior season, it could be a guy that, that Louisville could lean on if, if he's, you know, if things work out and he's still there for his senior season. However, as you indicated, I'm not sure that he has any experience at the level Louisville will be Davis against Texas or UConn or Kentucky. He he definitely has some freakish athleticism. He's listed as 6'6", 185. I'm going to go with he's probably closer to 6'7". Uh, just looking across this Louisville roster, Mike James is listed as 6'5", 200 pounds. I think he's a little bigger than that. Curtis Williams is listed as 6'5", 205. The funniest one on the roster to me, Caleb Glenn at six six two oh five. Yeah, I've I've actually That's been around. Boy. Yeah, I've been around Caleb in person. He says that he's six seven and a half, which I believe every bit of that. So next next to Luke Burgess, who is a verified six seven and a quarter, he's taller than Luke, and he's he is chiseled muscle. Uh, I I would find it hard to believe that he's six seven two oh five. Like I would say he's at least six seven, probably two fifteen two twenty. But it's interesting. Denny Crum was notorious for that. When Louisville would put out the starting lineup or the the roster, he would always, you know, cut a couple inches off of every guy on the roster. Uh, and then, you know, they'd show up and they're like, oh, Purvis Ellison <laughs> isn't 6'5". Like, what is this? I think so, that works a lot better in the 80s than it does the 2020s. It does. I was about to say. <laughs> uh, Trey White, same. He's listed the same as he was at USC, 6'7", 205. Zan Payne, I, I always love 6'5", 230. Like, he's just a beefy boy. I don't. It's a beef boy right there. <laughs> I, I don't and then and then Aiden McCool is is just absolute just you know skin and bones but <laughs> it's always fascinating just to see uh just to see what people are listed as but regardless at six seven probably 190 to 200 with pretty good handles you know he has some moves in his bag he's a capable distributor he's a solid rebounder but will that translate to this level that remains to be seen his teammates seem pretty confident in him the coaching staff seems pretty high on Karan Davis, so that remains to be seen. I will say, uh, to kind of answer that kind of second part of this conversation, I do think that he is a better option than Hersey Miller. I always said last year that Louisville needed Hersey Miller to be Elisha Justice. 
If, if Hersey Miller could be Elijah Justice, I think that that pretty set at the point guard position. They didn't get that that much out of Hersey last year. As he returns to walk-on status, I'm assuming, we'll see with the, I don't know how all the open scholarships work. It looks like they're not adding anybody else to this roster. So uh, looking across this roster, again, the concern for me, once again, is, is you know having those primary ball handlers and people will say, you know, the coaching staff will say it doesn't matter as much. Some fans will say that it doesn't matter as much. Maybe the team might, and maybe it won't. I don't know. Maybe Karan Davis, you know, turns out to be really solid and Tyler Johnson becomes eligible uh, and they have three really solid guards that can run the one. I, I think that the reality of the situation is when you see Louisville face Texas and UConn or Texas and Indiana. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, UConn, Indiana will be a hell of a matchup, by the way. But when they face two out of those three teams in November, what's that going to look like? It'll be, you know, when you're when you're running your your second guards out, you know, Curtis Williams and Karan Davis versus, you know, UConn's, you know, second guards. That's I think that's a, a massive mismatch. You know, maybe I'm being a bit pessimistic, but coming off of a of a of, of a four win season. It's hard not to be in many instances. We will get into the non-conference schedule. That's the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about today. But uh, speaking of getting things on your schedule, one thing that you have to do is get involved with Manscaped. Fellas, it is tailgating season, the time of year where boys become men and men become stinky. If you're like me, you pulled out all the stops to keep your boys fresh. And maybe more importantly, stop your family jewels from chafing during all sorts of fall weather. For me, nothing worked until I found Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant for Men. Let's cut to the chase. Most guys take better care of their pits than they do their future kids, and that's just f***ed up. That's why the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant is staying in my daily lineup forever. Over 2 million men trust their balls to Manscaped. It's approximately 4 million balls if you're doing the math. Manscaped has a number of products to help manage your manhood, including the Silky Smooth Lawnmower 4.0 Ball Trimmer. Do yourself a favor. Hit up Manscaped today. Don't forget to use code STARTING5. That's starting the number five for 20% off at checkout. Your balls will thank you. Live read right there, Jake. I always, I always like to throw them in when you least expect it. You didn't tell me I could say the F word on here? Yeah, yeah. Well, Or I, maybe I just Manscaped can. Yeah, I might have to bleep that out just because, you know, it is for Manscaped. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't want the Manscaped team calling me up and yelling at me. It is swamp-ass season. I will say it, that. Dude, so it is. Perfect time. And it's that time of year where it can be 70 degrees in Louisville and you're still just profusely sweating just because it's so humid. So mm-hmm. The last thing I kind of want to get on, into today is that non-conference schedule for Louisville. Uh, it's been reported, again, teams don't like to come out and, for whatever reason, talk about who they're going to play until the very last second. Uh, so what you can do is kind of piece together uh, your non-conference schedule based on uh, what other teams are announcing. And so when UMBC comes out and says, oh, we're playing Louisville on November 6th, fans can start to piece together. Okay, well, we know we're playing Bellarmine on the 28th. We know Kentucky's the 21st. Like, you can start kind of just getting the schedules assembled. And there's guys out there that do this almost for a living. Uh, Rocco Miller has released what he believes will be Louisville's finalized schedule for the 2023-24 season. And so here's what it looks like. So the home opener will be against UMBC. What is that? What is UMBC? Yeah, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Maryland, Baltimore, what was it? Sorry. County, I believe is what that last what that last Baltimore letter stands County. for, but I could be wrong. We'd have to look that up. But UMBC, uh, Chattanooga, Coppin State, New Mexico State, 
Bellarmine got that important rematch. Uh, Arkansas State, Pepperdine, and Kentucky. So that's the home slate. Uh, and then they have one road trip at the Paul. Again, another revenge game. Shout out to Paul Day. And then they have the Empire Classic, November 19th against Texas. That's locked in. We know that for a fact. And then they will play. If they win, they'll play the winner of Indiana UConn. If they lose, they will play the loser of Indiana UConn. So Texas and one of Indiana or UConn on November 19th and 20th. I believe that is Thanksgiving weekend. So that'll be that'll be a fun watch. I'm hoping that's not two L's, but as Jacob and I talked about the other day, that feels pretty likely given the resumes of some of these teams. Indiana and UConn, too. UConn, obviously, the defending national champions. Top 10, top 5 team coming into the season. Indiana has a really stellar class coming in for Mike Woodson. And Texas, a solid top 10, top 15 team. That, there's a lot to unpack there, but I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me, and you tell me if, 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 I'm, if I'm wrong, is that this schedule seems a lot softer for the most part than a season ago. It felt like Chris Mack-esque schedule last season where Louisville was trying to, you know, it might not be a big name, like App State might not, not be a major name, but that's a team that is probably going to be picked to be top two or three in their conference, and they're looking for that that major headliner win. So even though it's a quote-unquote buy game, it's it's a pretty solid win in November if you win by 10 or 12 points, right? There's not a lot of that this season. And I think you did a little bit of, of research on how teams finished the season ago uh, and and what fans can look forward to this season. Yeah, I mean, outside of those that big three where we're going to play UConn or Indiana, Texas, and then UK, the non-conference schedule is looking light. I mean, you've got only two teams that had a winning record last year, and these these aren't Power 5 schools. These are Coppin States. These are Chattanoogas. I mean, these these are not the, the, the cream of the crop when it comes to the, to the lesser-known conferences. You've got UMBC opening up 18 and 14. That's that's the best record we're facing in this non-conference schedule, 18 and 14. Then Chattanooga, 18 and 17. Then after that, you got Coppin State that won just nine games last year. New Mexico State, who won nine games last year before they had to suspend their season due to one of their players fatally shooting a guy. And then they had some hazing issues as well. So that's that's a complete mess of a team. You've got Bellarmine, revenge game, beat us last year, but they only went 15 and 18. DePaul went 10 and 23. Arkansas State 13 and 20, and then Pepperdine 9 and 22. So, I mean, I think it's very clear that Kenny Payne is trying to start us off with a little bit of a lighter schedule, get the confidence up in the players, and hopefully get the confidence up in the fans as well. Yeah. When you look across the schedule as well, a lot of teams, at least three or four to my knowledge, that have a brand new head coach, something that, that was polar opposite for Louisville last year, right? Like they started off that, you know, the three straight games losing by one point to start the season. And they were all against teams with, you know, seasoned veterans, coaches that have been around for a long time, programs with, you know, redshirt seniors and that just have played 100, 120 games together. You know, crisp ballman, movement, solid defense, uh, fundamental basketball. And that's not what Louisville was ready to play at all. You know, they just kind of used their athleticism and skill set just naturally possessed by a team that plays for a program like Louisville, right? Uh, but I know, you know, Chattanooga just hired a new coach in May. Uh, new Mexico State, obviously, pretty much just starting over fresh. That could be like that could be a game where even, you know, if Louisville's terrible this season, that could be a blowout win type of situation. So 
Uh, I like the revenge factor against Bellarmine on on November 28th. So they'll have New Mexico State on the 20th, the 25th. So I feel like that Bellarmine game is going to be one that's circled on their calendar. Like you don't lose to the former D2 team from across town. I, I would hope that that left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Uh, bad enough that that they can secure a, a, a comfortable victory. The other one that stands out to me that people won't be talking about right now, but I think it will be kind of a big storyline on December 9th is their trip to DePaul. Number one, a road trip to DePaul, a DePaul team that defeated them, I believe it was two years ago at home. And so this is Louisville's return trip. DePaul will have will feature Churchill Abbas, a guy that every Louisville fan on the planet thought was coming to Louisville and then L just kind of, you know, softened on him and ultimately ended up kind of passing and not offering him a scholarship. So that was the big thing with Churchill Bass was, you know, Kenny Payne was really high on him and then sounded like they had him work out for the team. It just wasn't what they expected, essentially. Too much of a of a project player. But I think the whole storyline, right, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the storyline last season when Louisville landed Manny Okorafor was that, okay, well, this is a guy that's a project player, but the big guy that we want to land is Churchill Abbas. We're recruiting this guy that could ultimately be a really solid piece for this team so that we can get the guy that could be our future star in Churchill. Uh, then, you know, things just kind of fell to the wayside. So that'll be an interesting thing for him because I know he desperately wanted to go to Louisville and will be playing with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Other storyline as well is that Kenny Payne actually turned down a job offer to DePaul two or three years ago as well. He was a guy that had been looking for college head coaching job for a long time, ultimately went to the NBA. His first offer coming back was for, for DePaul. He turned that down because of the potential to get the Louisville offer, finally did, and, and ultimately accepted it. So a few storylines there with the, with the DePaul game. After last season, it's hard to say that you're confident with any games, but, I mean, you have to get five or six wins out of this non-conference schedule. Am I wrong? You have to. When you schedule yourself this lightly in the non-conference, I mean, you have to. You want to see, I mean, out of UMBC, Chattanooga, Coppin State, New Mexico State, Bellarmine, DePaul, Arkansas State, and Pepperdine, that's eight winnable games. I mean, you, you want to win six of those at least, and then I want to see them be competitive against UConn or Indiana or Texas. I, I don't want a repeat of last year, or was it in the Maui, whenever we're losing by 30 to every team, and it's I'm I'm turning I'm wanting to turn the TV off. I love the torture, so I keep it on. But I'm wanting to turn the TV off eight minutes into the game because I know it's already over. So, I, I I like what KP did. I mean, I think it's smart to schedule a little bit lighter, get confidence in these guys because that's I mean, there's no way they have any confidence after winning four games. So I mean, get confidence, get wins, get rolling, build some chemistry, and then once you hop into that ACC schedule, it'll be tough enough to build a resume to make it to March or to get into the tournament if we do have the record for it. Yep, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, to me, we can't lower the standard at Louisville. In college basketball, in modern college basketball, they, you have the capability to turn a team from dreadful to incredibly competitive, sweet 16 or better type of team overnight, right? With NIL the way it is now, with the transfer portal the way it is and how lax things have been, it it's, should be very, very doable and expected for Louisville to turn this around and become an NCAA tournament team this season. And I don't want to, you know, fall away from that. Like, you know, we'll, we'll have those conversations and adjust expectations as the season goes on. But, I mean, the reality is 
you know, Louisville's going on six years without winning a NCAA tournament game. That's just unacceptable in, in just every possible way imaginable. Uh, Louisville has to come out the gate and they need to start five and oh, six and oh. They need to put some people on notice, like, okay, we are significantly better than we were a season ago. From everything that we're hearing uh, coming out of practice, it seems like a team that's gelling a lot better. Uh, it seems like a coaching staff that knows what to do a little bit better the second time around. But I think there's going to be a, a lot of deserved skepticism until we see that that's actually something that's coming to fruition. And until Louisville actually beats a team of of somewhat significant merit in, in, his, in his playing competitively with, with the Kentuckys and Texases and Indianas, right? Uh, so that's ultimately what we're looking to see. Jake, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to definitely do this a lot more often from now on. Uh, make sure you're following Jake on Twitter slash X at UofL underscore updates. Uh, one of the best new follows out there for sure. Make sure you're following us on social media as well at starting 502. And make sure that you use your 20% off code at manscaped.com uh, starting in the number five. Uh, again, that's manscaped.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, we will be back sooner rather than later. Until then, go Cards. Go cards, let's beat Murray State.